you go ahead and stand with me right now, and we'll continue in prayer. And we're going to do this uh, for the next four weeks. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer together as we open up these, uh, these messages. Let's read that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's continue to pray. Father, we thank you for giving us these words. We pray, God, that as we look at who you are, that who you are to us would change dramatically and that we would see you for who you really are and we would put you in the appropriate place in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. Well, today, uh, I'm glad you're, you're with us. We are gonna kick off uh, another four-week series here called Hallowed, and uh, I'm gonna be taking us through the first part of the book of Exodus, and we're gonna look at what the purpose of the book of Exodus is and unpack that together and experience its purpose. We're gonna experience what the author intended when he was writing it. And it all hovers and uh, finds its space around the word and the idea and the meaning of hallowed. And so with that, we want to give you guys the tools to follow along. And a lot of the way that I communicate is I, I move out of a narrative that uh, I try to get people caught up to at a certain degree, and it's not always easy to do that. So for this series, I would really like to invite you to read along with me, and we have provided a Bible reading plan for you so that you can follow with us. And when we say provide, what we mean is if you have the app, then you can go on the app uh, and you can uh, set up your settings, right, so that it reminds you, and you'll get prompts Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Bible reading plan, Ryan, we got it? You there? No, you weren't there. Ryan was on his phone. Uh, we have a Bible reading plan. And uh, so what we're going to do is read the first three chapters this week, and then we'll read uh, four, five, and six, week two. And then I think it's something like seven, eight, nine, eleven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And then we'll go up through, I think, 14, which kind of brings us to the end of the first section of and movement of the book of Exodus. And that's what we're really gonna be focusing on in this entire series. And so if you don't have the app, you can go online, please get the app, jump online, download it, and uh, set up your settings. If you don't know how to set up your prompts and stuff like that, find a millennial and get some help with that. If not, just get, get an old fashioned Bible and go ahead this week and in your reading that you're already doing, or if you wanna make this the center of your reading, you can go ahead and read one through chapters one through 14 if you want. You can go ahead and read uh, you know, one chapter for you know, the three days we'll prompt you, chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Or, or you can read all three chapters three days in a row or all three chapters uh, every day. You can do it however you like, but we'll give you those prompts. And I really want you to be more than just acquainted with the narrative as I go through this. All that to say, if you're not, then I'm not saying you're, you're gonna get completely lost. I'm just saying that it won't be as helpful for you to follow along with what we're doing 
in this text. And of course, what I'm going to lead us through as we're looking at the book of Exodus is certainly not exhaustive as it's related to everything that that fantastic book has to do. And so today um, we're going to kick off this series and think for a second about names and the meaning of names and what names do in our minds and in our lives and in our culture. And for us, people's names have a certain meaning, and they have a certain value in our culture. Like when a certain name is said, there's something that happens, right? You, make a con- you kind of might draw a conclusion, or you might have a thought. You might have an emotion when someone's name is said. You know, maybe it makes you happy, or maybe it makes you scared, or it makes you think a certain concept, whatever it is. Names do that for us. They kind of pull us in a direction, or they push us away, or they remind us of something, or they bring us to a certain place, or they might kind of uh, make us see someone a certain way. Uh, we live in a culture right now, cancel culture, where names have the ability to go from kind of the upper echelon of value and importance in our mind to the, you know, just the dumpster like in a day when someone might do something and then they might say something or whatever, and suddenly that person's name comes with it a connotation that is negative. Right, and so, uh, I mean, we have all these kinds of examples all the time. I mean, you know, right now, the the recent one is Kanye, right? You know, a a week ago, if you said his name, you might think about the Yeezys, and now if you say his name, if you don't make certain that you disapprove of any anti-Semitic remarks, then suddenly you're like, like, you know, connected with him and it's wrong and, and cancel culture, but it's an, it's an example of how somebody's name has a certain meaning to us because of what they've done or what they've said. And so names have that meaning, right? They do that for us. You might have a family member, right, that you love and you love their name or maybe a grandparent and their name means something. When you hear someone else has that name, it makes you think of your, of your, you know, your loved one. Names have that ability to do that. We can, we, can, we can be moved by them and transformed by them and reminded by them and, and moved through life by them. And of course, they can have great positive connotation or negative. They can move from fame to infamy like in a moment. And the thing about names right now is in terms of throughout history and the history of our country, there are very few names that still captivate the majority of all of us with a positive you know, feeling, a, a positive connotation. You know, right now, names can be very divisive. You, know, you say someone's name, and some people have a positive thought, and some people have a negative thought. Some people really like that name, and some people don't like that name. Some people agree with that person or persons, and some people don't. And so to find a name in today's culture that really like wraps its arm around all of us and we all go, now that's a good thing. That, that has a positive connotation to me. That can be challenging. And a lot of times the names that have that type of potential and power to, to captivate us, they're easy to forget over time. After a certain amount of time, someone who's done some great things, you know, after maybe 10 years, we forget about those things. And so names can have this meaning and then we need them brought back to us. For example, there's some famous words written by someone who I think fits such a category um, that these words were written by a man who I believe when we say his name, uh, everybody has a positive thought. And these are some of the words from, I believe, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. And he wrote these words, and by virtue of the power And for the purpose aforesaid, I do order and declare 
that all the persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are, and henceforward shall be free. And that the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authorities thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. What a statement. Those words are, are moving. When you hear those words and you understand what those words meant. I, I, uh, when, I, when I was in college, I went to a, a one-year Bible college and then I transferred to Taylor University and my first, my first time there was for what was called a J term, right? Where you just go during all of January, take one class in four weeks. And I took like the 400 level class on the Civil War. And we watched the Ken Burns Civil War movie. If you've ever seen that, it is literally like 35 hours of a documentary about Abraham Lincoln and about the Civil War, and it just captivated me to be brought into that time and into that space and understand what was hanging in the balance and understand the culture and then to understand what this man did. One of the greatest names that can be uttered in our culture today is Abraham Lincoln. That's a name that still moves us. It, it, it represents unity. It represents white man with power saying that he is going to see everybody. It represents love. It represents something of an ideal that strikes a chord in all of our hearts that we wish still happened today or, or, or we, we want it today. What, what he did and said then, we want that. And we wanna feel that. And the reality is, is that we forget Lincoln. We forget him. This is why I think every year in, in a lot of public schools, the kids are taken on a trip, I think in, in the eighth grade, every year the eighth graders, they go to Washington, D.C., and they get to see the Lincoln Memorial. And if you've ever been to the Lincoln Memorial, it's, it's astounding. It just, it, just it, it literally it puts you back on your heels, the scale of it. It's obvious that the people that made that statue wanted people to remember this man in these words because it's very, very important. And so what we're going to do with this series is we're going to talk about the greatness of the name of God. And, and just before we do that, just, just a couple comments on the word great. I, I think we need to stop using the word great so flippantly. If, you, if you're a, a comedy lover, I love stand-up comedy. And I spend time watching it, and sometimes I find myself in places that are probably not appropriate because I just enjoy stand-up comedy so much. But if you have a chance, go and watch Jerry Seinfeld's newest stand-up bit on Netflix where he talks about the word great and he kind of unpacks this hilarious idea that the difference between things being great and things sucking are actually not that different. And it's, it's, it's just hilarious. But he kind of brings into full view this word great and how it, it kind of has been flattened in our minds, you know? You can call like someone's haircut great. Oh, it's great. You can call like the noodles that you got at some you know, restaurant, oh, they were great. And then suddenly, if something is actually great, like a person or something like Abraham Lincoln, you've just equated noodles with Abraham Lincoln. 
And so it's something that I think we don't want to do. Words matter. And when we exaggerate or overuse words, we delude their potency. We should stop calling so many things great. The word great should really only work for the thing or person that is singularly at the top of our mind in terms of value. If we call all good things great, then great things will start to just become good. The Bible says that God has done great things. The Bible says that God has done great things. So if you haven't done what he's done, or if you, ha- if you haven't done what he's done, it's categorically impossible for it to be great. Right, so really this idea of greatness needs to be moved. Probably, you know, we need to be more equitable with our words and we need to be more precise with our words about what they mean. And when we talk about God, it's appropriate to use the word great. It's, a, it's, it's something that should be saved for how we talk about God. And this is something that Jesus understood and something that Jesus was up to when he was here 2,000 years ago because, um, to overly simplify it, the word hallowed means great. It means, it means the utmost. It means set apart and wonderful and special, unique, and it means primary. That's what it means. So when Jesus comes to this earth and he says to the people that are asking him how to pray, he says, when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, he's giving us a prayer that speaks into the lack of of our world. It speaks into what we're missing. That's what Jesus says. You need to pray, pray like this. Pray our Father. And there's huge implications related to praying our Father. The intimacy of, of having a heavenly Father. That, that's a big deal. And, and he's a good Father. And I mean, you can just spend all your time just in our Father. And, and many do and many should. But when he moves to hallowed, hallowed be your name, he knows that his name to the people around him at the time is not hallowed. It's not great. It's not in the spot that it should be. It doesn't heighten our mind and our heart. And the connotation to the name of God is not, it's not right. It's not, it's not necessarily positive. It's not, it doesn't fit. It's not at the top. And so when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who's in heaven, great be your name. In other words, when you're praying, ask God to remind you, ask God to, to help you, to see him as the number one whole reality that you place in your life. Pray that God truly becomes great. The Lord's prayer is that the name of God would be restored to greatness and uniqueness and holiness among the people of Israel and among the nations. The idea of the word name uh, Shem in Hebrew, it just can just be the title, but it also has deeper meaning when we're talking about someone's name. It has the idea of your reputation or your social value. So when you talk about someone's name being great, you're saying, we want God's reputation to be great again. You know, when someone has a great name, Abraham Lincoln, there's a rep that comes with that. And we go, now that's a good reputation. And what Jesus is saying is when, when, when you pray, we want God's name to be at the top of our mind, the primary 
uh, relationship in our life, the number one priority of our daily living. And then we want, because he's become great to us, we want the nations to see that God's reputation is beautiful and wonderful and captivating for all. And so what Jesus is doing in that one little sentence is saying if we get this right, we'll change the world. If God's name is hallowed in our hearts and therefore in our lives, and you pray that, you repeat that, God, be great to me. God, be bigger to me. God, you're not in the right spot. You know, God, you're not hallowed to me. You know, God, I, I, I have other things that are hallowed. I have other things that I've made great. I'm calling, I'm wasting my words on things that aren't great. You're actually great. And you've done great things. God gives Abraham a great name. He wants him to have a great reputation. That's it's part of what God is doing when he starts the nation of Israel. I'm gonna make you great. I'm gonna make your name great. You're gonna be the father of, of a great nation. And through you, the world is gonna know the greatness of God. This is a theme throughout the Bible. In the book of Psalms, it says, some trust in chariots. You know what that means? That means some people have chariots as hallowed. Some people have money as hallowed. Some people have their, their, their you know, successes necessarily, their life. Their, they have good things sometimes at the priority of the top of their life. Some make chariots hallowed, but the psalmist says, but we, we trust in the name of God because of his reputation, he's hallowed. The way that hallowed connects to the book of Exodus is fantastic when when Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, he is kind of stepping into a repeated pattern for just humans in general, in particular the nation of Israel. And the pattern is that people forget about the greatness of God. They forget about the greatness of God. That's the pattern. And so what Jesus kind of tells us is that the entire reason for his existence is that we have forgotten about who God is and how great he is, and why he's, not his existence, the reason he's there. And he kind of alludes to this hallowed idea that what he's gonna do in his life is kind of a remapping of what has happened through the Exodus story. Because the entire book of Exodus is about making the name of God great. That's what the purpose is. And so in the book of Exodus, the people have forgotten about God and they, you know, they don't think God's name is great and all this stuff. And then when Jesus shows up, he is effectively saying, well, you've forgotten about me and you don't know how great I am. And you know, in the book of Exodus, if you know the narrative, the nation of Israel, through this miraculous movement of a famine, the family of Israel moves into Egypt and at first they're strong and then you know, they, they grow in numbers but then a different leader grows up and they're, they're so mighty, the Israelites are, that, that the leadership is afraid of them because they're getting strong. So they put them into slavery and then after 400 years is when God kind of moves in to relieve them from that slavery and that oppression. Well, what's happening with Jesus is effectively um, at the end of what was the Old Testament literature, they call that period in between the time of Christ the 400 years of silence. 
because it's like the prophets stopped speaking, so you have 400 years of like, where's God? You know, where's the movement of God? And during that 400 years, some really awful things happen. I believe that's when Antiochus Epiphanes come, and he does this crazy thing, the Greeks, and they kind of desecrate the temple, which is the worst possible thing you can do. And then the Romans move in, and they set up camp there, and they're dominating the people. And so Jesus is there, and the people have forgotten about God. It's, it's, it's true that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is theologically what's called the second exodus. He, he's saying, we did the exodus before, and that had its purposes, and now we're gonna do another one. And this one is actually going to change you from the inside out and save your souls because it's gonna bring God and man together because your sins are gonna be wiped away and God's presence is gonna dwell among you and then in you through the Holy Spirit. So the exodus is now a deliverance from the powers of death and the powers of evil that Jesus overcomes on the cross and in his resurrection, which is similar to taking people through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? So Jesus is doing the second exodus. And really, like the whole Bible, like the story is like you got the first exodus, and then you got the second exodus with Christ, and it gives us the Holy Spirit where there's kind of like we're overlapping. You read the book of Romans, it just like sits right in that space. You know, I've got this battle going on. You know, my spirit is you know, in line with my mind, and I want to do the things of God, but my body is still dying. And so, like, I have the Holy Spirit of God. I can't actually live as a new being in this world, but, like, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Because it's still a problem, so it's the overlap. And so what, what's coming is the third exodus, and that's when Jesus will return to this earth and bring heaven and earth back together and eradicate death completely once and for all through our bodily resurrection. And so you can, and that's overly simplified, but you can kind of break this thing down into this first, first exodus, second exodus, and then we're looking forward to a third exodus. So the purpose of this first exodus is to, in all the people from then on, to give people a reason to know that God's name is great because of the things that he's done. Because he knows there's more to come and you need the Jesus exodus and you need the third exodus. So here we are in this space. We need to remember exodus number one because the same God that did exodus number one is the same God. Did exodus number two that is the same God that's gonna solidify this whole thing. And so the purpose of this series is to increase the reverence and affection for who God is and what he's done. And I talk about this a lot in terms of leadership. The leadership is not a position. It's a disposition, right? It's kind of, a, it's kind of the way you see things. Or another way to put it is, is it's orientation, the way you view the world. And what we need in terms of Christ followers is we need the appropriate disposition or orientation towards the name of God and who God is, so that when he is number one in our lives the way he should be, that a lot of things are gonna change because the greatness of God in our life is going to lead to the greatness of God to the nations. So this is a powerful movement, the Exodus movement. And so as we look in, into the book of Exodus, just a, a couple of little things, the Exodus, the title in the Greek is the road out. That's what Exodus means, it's the road out. 
Very simple. The author's going, these people are not where they're supposed to be. And so God is gonna be the road out. God is gonna show the road out. God is gonna make the way out of this. And in the book of Exodus, God is on a mission to reveal his name, his character, his purpose to the people he has chosen and then through them reveal who he is to the nations. And this Exodus event is the event that is viewed as the event, according to the scriptures, that defines who God really is. This is the event that defines who God really is. And that is why the Exodus event in the scriptures is referred back to more than any other event because it's a representation of the greatness of God. And what's going on in the book of Exodus when we show up after 400 years of slavery is essentially the the people of God are up for grabs. I just want you to think about that for a second. The people of God, they, they have an amazing heritage with Abraham and this family and there's some amazing things that happen in the story in Genesis leading up. Really, really profound things where God meets with those fathers and mothers and families and does remarkable life-changing things for them. And then we get to the Exodus story and like we said, 400 years of oppression, they, they change the way people think about God and think about just the idea of God altogether. And so when we get to the Exodus story, the people who were promised by God through Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, to bring salvation and goodness and and life and Eden back to earth through this family, they, they, they don't talk to God, they don't really know God, and there they are, they're kind of in a world where if you look at Pharaoh in the Exodus story, he's not just someone who they believe is a king. In, in Mesopotamia and kind of in Babylon, there was this quality of kings that meant like they were close to God, but they didn't really think they were God. Pharaoh actually believes he's God. There's a stark difference from all the surrounding nations. Pharaoh believes he is divine, he is the top dog. And so what you have is a group of people that don't have much recent history with the God that they had that brought them there, and they have lots of powerful, oppressive movement by Pharaoh in their life. And I think after maybe generation, 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 you might think, well, maybe he's God. We don't, we don't know who our God is. And so what can happen in all of our lives is we can kind of be at a place, and maybe you've been there, where you're like, God, like the, the God spot, the great spot, the hallowed spot, it's up for grabs. It's like, who's gonna come in? Who's gonna do something? Who's gonna say something? Who's gonna move? What, 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 you know, we have this kind of in our culture that like there's a spot for God, but who is it? And so that is why in the book of Exodus, the, the, the reoccurring phrase, it's throughout the book of Exodus. This is why this is what this book is about. The phrase that repeats over and over and over again is that people would come to know the name of God. The purpose of the book, book of Exodus is so that the people of God who have the divine seat in their hearts 
up for grab. Come to know God and put him on the throne in their minds and in their lives. Here's an amazing story, and as you read through it, you'll see Moses ends up in in the king's house, which he's not supposed to because all the firstborn babies were going to die, but then he ends up there. And then he's an Israelite in an Egyptian house, and he gets angry one day when the Egyptians are beating up his brother, and he does this awful thing where he murders, and then his own countrymen kind of call him out for that. So he flees, and he goes out into the desert, and he's out there for a really long time. And God even meets him in that desert with an Eden-like experience there. And he gets married. And then he's a true shepherd. And one day when he's walking his sheep through the shepherd, there's a giant fire that he sees. And he goes over to the fire. And the thing that moves him about the fire, because fires are common in the desert, is that the fire is in the bush, but it's not consuming the bush. It's not destroying the bush. So there's something about it that's different. And this is when God... and Moses interact, and actually what God says is to Moses is you need to take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And so what you're seeing in, in Moses with the burning bush is you're seeing heaven and earth. This is God's space, and now God has brought man into his space. And he wants Moses to know you're about to be brought back into a place that you've been missing that you, don't, you didn't know you were missing and you need this in your life, you need me and you need to take your shoes off because what's about to happen is I'm gonna show you through a series of events that my name is great. And so you need to treat this like my name is great. And it's fantastic, it's moving. It's an, it's an amazing story of a God who meets us in the desert and then then actually kind of funny part comes up. And I don't know if, according to the way it was written, it's supposed to be funny, but I find it kind of funny. Because God says to Moses, I love you and care about you, and I've heard, and I've heard my people, I've heard them crying, I care about them, and I am going to help you, and we are going to deliver the people from the oppression and the tyranny of Pharaoh. And I want you to go to the Israelites and tell them that I'm going to set them free. Go and tell them that I hear them and I care about them and that I listen to them. Go and tell them that and tell the leaders of of Egypt that as well. Go and tell them that I'm going to do this amazing work. And then this is actually kind of the funny part. Moses says this. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites Do what you say. Say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Have you ever been in a a moment where you met somebody like five times and then you forget their name? And then your wife is there and you're like, oh, you've never met my wife. This is, I, I saw this in like a sitcom or something. Like, you never met my wife. Hey, I want you to meet Katie. This is my wife, Katie. I want you to meet this person. And then the person goes like, hi, my name is Jamie. Because they know you forgot their name. And they bail you out. Can I just tell you, like, thank you. 
to anyone that does that. I'm like, oh, hey, you've never met this. This is a person. This is kind of what Moses is doing. He's like, hey, so like, all right, you're sending me. Okay, they're going to ask me what your name is, so what should I tell them? What, what, what am I going to tell them? What do I tell them they're, your name is? What am I going to say? But the reality is, is that what this simple text shows us is that Moses doesn't know the name of God. He doesn't know the name of God. And he doesn't just not know the name of God. All the nation of Israel doesn't know the name of God. They have forgotten the name of God. How you learn this is not, honestly, it's really amazing, is all throughout the narrative until that part when God is talked about or referred to, the word that's used there is not God's proper name. It's a placeholder or a title for name. And the word in the Hebrew is Elohim, and Elohim is a category title for just a type of being. It's neutral, it's impersonal, it's just like saying, and deity. Just that there's a God box and there's a God thing going on. Elohim is the role or title for God, but it's not the name God. It'd be like going up to somebody and saying, hello, human. You fit the category of human, but you don't know the name. So all the way up until this moment, it's Elohim. Just Elohim. Just, a, just kind of this impersonal, categorical labeling of the type of being that we're talking about when we're talking about God. And then God says to Moses, here's what you're gonna tell them. Tell them I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall come, the, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So here's what's fascinating is that when God and Abraham made their covenant in the early parts of Genesis, Abraham knew the name of God. He called him by his first name. And so did his kids, Isaac and Jacob, right, and Joseph, and then all the kids and all the ones that moved in to Egypt knew the name of God. And then certain things happened and the people forgot the name of God. And the point of the story is we forget God, but God doesn't forget us. He meets us, he comes to us. When, when Moses asks, who are you, and God gives him his title, there's just massive theology related to what his name actually is, just massive. I mean, just, just what his name means alone is, is kind of indescribable. But he, he uses this Hebrew phrase, Eyah, Esher, Eyah. In the Greek, it's ego ami. It's I am who I am. And then when he says, you will tell them that I am Yahweh, the verb idea there is it's just a person that's in the state of being. It's almost like God said to Moses, tell them he is. What's his name? Tell them he is. My name is he is. Because what he is 
saying is, I am the one who is. That's what his name means. I am the one who is. He says, my name is Yahweh. That's my name. Eyah, Eshur, Eyah. I am who I am. Yahweh. That means I am the one who is. It means I exist. It means he is the fount of being and of whose being every other being is contingent. The name Yahweh is the idea of the uncaused caused. He's the uncaused one. He just is. He always has been, and he always will be. That's who God is. But that's not the most profound part of the story. The profound part of the story is that Yahweh is the name of God. It's his personal name. In the conversation with Moses, he moves from just a placeholder of Elohim, deity, something that is like God, to hello, my name is Yahweh. And in God telling Moses, his name is Yahweh, and you should go tell the people that my name is Yahweh, what you're going to reveal to them is that the one who is, the one who brought everything into the being, the one who always has been and always will be and is forevermore, the Alpha and the Omega later in the Greek, the, 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 the never-ending, never-created one, you know him by name. You have a personal relationship with him. In God telling Moses his name, he's granting to him relational intimacy and the possibility to genuinely know God. You know, this is like real for us. I have, in the church, I have, you know, I don't like it when people come and call me boss. You know, that doesn't, it's like, oh, you know, you have some people that like, maybe they, they volunteer, they don't see me that much. Hey, what's up, boss? You know, and it, it's fine. You know, I think that means respect, but that also shows that I don't know that person. You know, because it's fine to be honoring of titles and positions, but like, I don't even like to be called Pastor Joel. I have a friend that said, just so you know, whenever I'm around other people, I'll call you Pastor Joel, just because I want everyone to know that you are in a certain, my, you're in my mind in a certain role. And I'm like, that's fine. But I really want you to call me Joel because I want our relationship to be more than just I'm this role in your life. I want a relationship with you. And I want that to be reflected in how we talk to one another. In the way we work today, this is kind of like giving someone your phone number. You know, it's like, you know, in church, like I try to, you know, not get everybody my phone number. But if I give you my phone number, Man, you can call me. You can put my name in your phone and you can call me anytime. And honestly, if I give you my phone number, my mindset on that is I'm, I'm, I'm available to this person. I, I wouldn't give my number to you if I wasn't available. So that means like, yeah, I'm available to you not just as a role in your life but as a relational person who wants to build something with you. I mean, imagine going to your spouse all the time and just calling them wife. It doesn't, it's not right. There's more to it. God has introduced himself and communicated with you that he would like genuine friendship, partnership, and an intimate relationship. This is why this prayer that Jesus says, our Father, an intimate relationship, 
Father, we want to put your name in the right spot. And this father says to Moses, not only that he wants them to know his name, but that it's so much more than that, that he sees the oppression and he hears their cry and he is going to deliver you. That's what God wants. He wants you to know that he knows your name. He wants you to know that he wants a relationship with you. He wants you to know that he is going to be the one that helps you get out of the cries that you're crying. He's gonna help you get out of the pain that you are experiencing and that's why when Moses is standing before God and he has that staff, he gives him those signs because that staff, when you read it, when he throws it on the ground, it's turned into a snake. And that is a picture of evil. It's a picture of darkness. It is a direct connection to the Genesis narrative that a snake misled the people and took them away from God. And God is saying, through these signs and through what's about to come, I'm gonna become great. And I'm gonna give you deliverance from the power of the snake. I'm going to make my name great to you by doing great things that you should never forget and you should keep me at the top of your mind. What happens is we do forget and you could do a whole lot more on why we forget. The reason that the Israelites forget is the darkness in the world, the time, the decades, the other deities that steal our heart, and the dedication we have in our lives to the wrong things. But what God wants is he wants us to put him number one in our lives. Jesus brings this whole thing full circle when in the book of John seven times Jesus refers to himself the way that God introduces himself to Moses as I am, seven times. In Paul's writings, the name of Jesus is merged with Yahweh so that you would honor the name of Yahweh and when you do that is to pray the name of Jesus. The one great God tells us his name and wants a never-ending relationship with us. That's what we're here for. That's what this series is gonna do. Because after getting introduced to the name of God and having that relationship, God is going to do these great things. And we have to be reminded of them all the time. Otherwise, he won't be hallowed. Let's pray. Father, I wanna thank you so much for what you've done and what you're going to do. And I thank you so much that you want a relationship with us, that you don't just want us to tell you who you are and how you've always been, but God, that you want us to know your name, that we can call you Yahweh, we can call you Father, we can have an intimate connection with you. And God, I pray that as we look at what you did in the first Exodus and we look at and reflect on what you did in the second Exodus, that that alone could be enough as we, as we kind of remind each other and encourage one another to put you at the top of our minds, that that could be enough to keep you at the top of our minds. God, every single one of us, we forget you. We forget what you're like. We forget who you are. We forget what you care about. We forget what you're about. And Father, I pray, God, that we would remember your name that it would shape us, that we would put you at the top. We love you, God. We thank you for the Exodus narrative. And we ask that as we look at the parts that show your greatness to us, that we would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song one more time together.
Hey everybody, thanks for watching today. If you have questions, want to get connected, have a prayer request, or just need somebody to talk to, you can text the number on the screen. We love you guys. Thanks for watching today, and we'll see you later.